three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. My name's John Zagluo. Great to have you here. On today's edition of the program, to Justin Fields demand a trade? We'll break it all down in just a second, plus a brand new interview today with Mark Janowski, sports reporter at ABC7 and a Bulls insider at Stadium. Talk with him extensively about the Bulls' playoff series with the Bucks, what to expect for the rest of it, and what to expect for the Bulls come next year and come free agency. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluo. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportstalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this. Support means a lot to people. That's not just a football lesson or a baseball lesson. It's life. You need support if you want to grow. You want things to go well. You want to be in a positive environment where there are no problems, where you can be happy. You need support and encouragement. You're at a job and you see none of that, you'd leave, right? You'd quit. If they pass you over for promotions, if they give you nothing to support yourself and help yourself out, you're going to go. If there's no benefit to you, you will leave. And it makes sense. I'm sure you've had that before. I know I have too. If there's no support, if there's no benefit to me, why am I going to do it? Right? Why would I stick around and grind it out when I could find something better, something else, that's going to be more beneficial for me and my life? Life lesson. Not just football, but we could apply it to football. We could apply it to the Bears and Justin Fields. Big article came out a few days ago, caused tons of controversy on Twitter, saying essentially that Justin Fields should request a trade. Everybody freaked out. What are you talking about? What did the Bears do to him? They did nothing wrong. Well, let's review the tape over the past 12 months. The Bears moved up to get him. Matt Nagy pretty much sabotaged him. Nothing around him. And now we sit here today and Brian Poles has completely decimated the roster for good reason, but still... Justin Fields as of today is one of the worst rosters around him in the NFL. Now, the Bears are hoping that he could wait, give them some time to rebuild for 2023 and beyond. We all know the shtick by this point. We know the whole point of this rebuild. 
Oh, $120 million in cap space. Here come the Bears. 2022 is going to be bad, but what about 2023? I understand that. I would hope Justin Fields does too. But for people to freak out about this article, for them to say, oh, the Bears are a first-class organization, they've treated Justin Fields so well, there should be no reason why he asks for a trade, that is ridiculous. So much hatred about this article, really think about the situation. So, everybody wants to be a fan first, and that's fine, but when you come to me, it's information first, then fandom. Fandom's like last on my list. Let's be real here. Let's talk realistically what's going on with the Bears and Justin Fields. Let's see. New coach, new offense, another regime change after just one year. That's a problem for a quarterback. That's something that would turn you off if you're a quarterback, right? One and done with a head coach and GM that actually sabotaged you on top of it. In fact, I'll take it one step further. Why'd the Bears keep around Matt Nagy when they had a new quarterback coming in? That just goes to show you, they chose Matt Nagy over Justin Fields, over Mitch Trubisky, over everybody. The Bears stuck by Matt Nagy. They stuck by Ryan Pace. Now we know where their loyalty was and is. So yeah, if I'm Justin Fields and I'm a rookie quarterback and I know what happened with Mitch Trubisky, I know what's going on with Matt Nagy, and then I get drafted by that same team and they affirm their commitment to Matt Nagy and say, you know what, we're confident in him with this new rookie quarterback, then this performance ensues, yeah, I'd be pretty ticked off, wouldn't you? It's like if I took a new job, the last guy got fired because of the boss, then I come in and the boss is an ass to me. <laughs> I'm wondering what the hell's going on here. I would want to leave. Why'd the company pick that boss over the employee when it was the boss's fault? Why'd the Bears pick Matt Nagy over Mitch Trubisky, then over Justin Fields even to an extent, and not the quarterback? This team forever has looked, has drafted, has signed, has tried to find a quarterback they still can't, and yet they signed with the coach in this situation. So yeah, if I'm a rookie, if I'm Justin Fields, then I see what happened last year. What a disaster it was. Seven touchdowns, ten picks, 11 fumbles, no offensive line, no weapons, Matt Nagy calling plays and sabotaging me. Yes, I wouldn't mind, or I wouldn't at least not consider being traded or requesting one. I doubt it's going to happen. And this article, in general, was all speculation. None of this is insider information. But here's my thing. Would you blame Justin Fields for asking for one? And everybody's going to say, oh, hey, the Bears are building around him. They're committed to him. Didn't you see the press conference? Yes, I understand that. But how about the optics from last year? That's what this is all going off of. That's what this article is going off of. Last year. What happened last year? <sighs> Look at that team. How about game one? Justin Fields, first ever time really coming into a game. Oh, yeah. Nine sacks will throw you to the Wolves. What a great job at protecting your franchise quarterback. Huh? I would take it personally. And that's what I think this article is trying to get across. Nobody's coming after the Bears or Bears fans and saying, oh, hey, trade Justin Fields, watch out. That's not the point of this article. So don't get outraged. The point of it is, 
There were times last year, and there are even times right now where the Bears, it seems like, are not prioritizing Justin Fields enough. That's a big problem. I understand he's a rookie quarterback, and really, what kind of say does he have? But if you're going to proclaim to everybody again that he's the savior, that he's this brand new, big-time quarterback that you drafted and traded up for, then you know what? You better invest in him. You better put something around him to work. I'm sorry, but look at this Bears team. Come on. I could sit here and be positive and look forward to 2023, but we can't hide 2022. You can hear people spin it and say, hey, this guy did this over here, this over there. The fact is, the Bears do not have enough weapons right now for Justin Fields. We're going to wait and see what happens in the draft. Maybe they move up, get a big wide receiver, which would be great. But the fact is, right now, all they got is Darnell Mooney and David Montgomery. And David Montgomery, by the way, he's nearing a contract extension. Chances are the Bears won't extend him. So what else do you have for Justin Fields right now? Oh, yeah, you got St. Brown from the Packers with a career-high 98 receiving yards in a season. Good job. <laughs> you want a budget shop today? That's fine. But guess what? If I were Justin Fields, I'd say, okay, I'll give you one year here. If you are not surrounding me with weapons by year three, we got a problem here. Big problem. And if I were Justin Fields, I would request a trade or at least think about it. It says in this article, first sentence, through no fault of his own and really through no fault of his current coach or GM, Justin Fields is going to take snaps under center in 2022, surrounded by what is on paper one of the NFL's worst rosters. One of the NFL's worst rosters. A rebuilding roster that has no offensive might whatsoever, and even a defensive part of the roster that needs work and is on the budget right now. It's a budget-type roster. All I'm saying is, if I'm Justin Fields, don't be too patient here. Because <laughs> you've seen the track record for the Bears. This is like Cleveland Browns football. And I know the Browns are better now, but look at how they treat their players. Even Baker Mayfield. I don't care about the fact that, oh, he's not that good. Deshaun Watson's better. Whatever it might be. Look at they treated a first-round pick in Baker Mayfield. They kind of forced him out this year. Baker played this year hurt. Messed up his shoulder, messed up his knee, played through it. And what's his reward for that? For grinding it out with the Cleveland Browns. For going through three different coordinators. What's his reward? Oh yeah, we're going to bring in Deshaun Watson and you're kind of out the door. The Browns have always treated their players like crap. Now the Bears are going to be doing the same, it looks like. Or I would hope not, but that's what it looks like here. We're talking about optics. We're talking about how things look. And right now, things don't look too good for Justin Fields. It does not look like to me that the Bears are really putting his interests first right now. Now, I would hope by 2023 that's going to be fine. But here's my problem with that. I'm fine with waiting. I'm fine with giving them time. But the fact is, what about injuries? What about getting him killed again? Okay, we saw what happened last year, right, with the Browns, with that offensive line. What's going to happen now? You need some more offensive line help. You need some more wide receivers. I don't care if they're draft picks, but they're better than what you have today. Really, I'd rather invest my time and money in a rookie. They have more upside than the guys they've signed, especially the wide receivers. I just don't think at this moment the Bears have done enough. I want to give Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus tons of time. We need to give them patience. I know. I get it. But I shouldn't be blamed for being worried about Justin Fields. 
about the fact that the Bears historically have not had good quarterback play, have not really built around their quarterback, chose Matt Nagy last year over a new offensive guy with Justin Fields. This stuff scares me. It really scares me. And that's going to be a concern. So for those of you so mad about this report, what I say is, guess what? It might be a reality more than you think it is. It might be. Why wouldn't it be? Give me one good reason today why Justin Fields should be happy here in Chicago. I'm waiting. Seriously, what what should make him happy to be here right now? It's a rebuild. Last year, I'm a rookie quarterback, and you guys kept a crappy coach that ruined another top pick. I don't know. I don't blame Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. I blame management. I blame Ted Phillips, George McCaskey, and we talked about this at length so far this offseason. You could bring in a new GM, new head coach. The fact is, it's McCaskey and Phillips still running the show. That's been the biggest problem for the Bears. And now look what's happening. This is not reckless speculation. Prove to me right now, all of you watching, comment on the video, comment, find me on Twitter at John C. Sports. Tell me why Justin Fields has any incentive to stay right now. What should make him excited about being with this team? Remember last year, we remember they chose Matt Nagy to stay because he would be the great guy to help out Justin Fields. Didn't work. So they chose a coach over Justin Fields. They put him in at the wrong time and had him suffer. The whole year he suffered. Now new head coach, new GM, and guess what? This year, nothing around him. It's going to be really hard to judge Justin Fields this year, even. When you're throwing to St. Brown, and your only real target at this point is Darnell Mooney, yeah, it's going to be even hard to judge him at that point. These are a lot of problems for this team. And I would only hope that things get better. I know they have $120 million free in cap space for 2023. I know this year it's not going to be easy for the Bears. But I'm just worried about this rookie quarterback. I saw what happened to Mitch Trubisky. Whether he was talented or not doesn't matter. The fact is, he was sabotaged, and we all know it. I don't want the same for Justin Fields. I, I don't. I don't wish him any ill will. I want him to succeed. I want to see the Bears actually have a good quarterback for once. This is annoying after a while. Every year, new quarterback, so excited, pre-agent signing or draft pick, and it never works. And there are always different contributing reasons, but the fact is it still never works. And last year was a train wreck. Put in fields too early, didn't support him, had nobody around him. Had a coach who was sabotaging other players and fields. Chose that coach who hurt Mitch Trubisky and said, you know what, he'll do good with Justin Fields. Let's keep him there. Now there's a headache when it comes to the cap situation, headache when it comes to this team, players, personnel, that has to be fixed over a year with Ryan Poles. Meanwhile, Justin Fields is not being prioritized yet. Not right now. I don't know if I'm a quarterback and I see this sort of situation I shouldn't be blamed for wanting to leave. There are players who've been given more and have still left. There have been. 
There have been players who've been given more of the NFL and still request a trade or want to leave. Look at Kyler Murray right now, even. Although Kyler Murray's a different situation, still. Kyler Murray has a lot going for him in Arizona, no question. He wants to be gone. Justin Fields has absolutely nothing. Zero. And he's still sticking it out. That goes to show you his character, and it certainly increases my respect for him, but still I feel bad for him. Doesn't matter. I feel horrible about this. Just really hope they build around him. I really hope things get better. I don't like where this is right now for the Bears. I know we have to be patient. I know we have to wait and see what comes, especially in the draft. And, you know, maybe in a month I'm making a completely different video about how great the Bears did in the draft and how great things are going to look. But right now at this moment, it's not looking good, at least for next year. And mentally, for Justin Fields to endure another season like last year, coming up, that could be a problem for his career. I brought this up a couple of times before. I'll say it again. Josh Rosen. Now, I think Justin Fields is 10 times more talented than Josh Rosen. No question. Josh Rosen, I always thought was going to be a bust. But here's what I was wrong about with Rosen. It wasn't necessarily all on him. Rookie year, new head coach, defensive-minded guy, rookie head coach in Arizona. Worst offensive line in football. No time to throw it. Threw him into the Wolves. Horrible year. That stained the rest of his career. Then they draft Kyler Murray, trade him away, and he never recovered. And then never had another coach who would really develop him. Then he went to Miami. That didn't work. Throwing too many picks. Now he's just a backup, even trying to find work in the NFL. That's not fair. That's not right. And that happened to Rosen. That's my point. That was unfair. And why did it happen? Well, no support from coaching, no offensive line, no weapons, and now scarred for life. And his career is pretty much over. Didn't help that he was so cocky. I remember that quote where he said when he was drafted, oh, I was drafted ninth. Well, you know, all these teams made a mistake. The eight guys before me are not as good as me. Okay, obviously wrong. But the fact is, regardless... He was never given a fair opportunity to succeed in the NFL. Not once. And now he'll never get one. I mean, his name is so tarnished and stained, it's never going to happen again. I don't want that to happen to Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is more mentally tough. I think he can deal with more adversity for sure. I'm not saying that's going to happen to him. you got to remember the mental side of the game. Again, how would you feel if you got a new job, if you were working somewhere and your boss sucked, you had nothing around you to help you succeed, and it had already been one year on the job. So you'd already been there for one year, boss is horrible, and they give you nothing to help yourself out. Like, let's say you're a salesman. They give you no leads for a year, horrible boss. <laughs> and you've been there for a year. Yeah, I'd want to leave. I'd say, what the hell's this? That could be the same situation with Justin Fields. That's why I just exercise a lot of caution about the situation. But, I mean, all we could do is hope for the best, and I would hope that Ryan Poles has somewhat of a plan. I would hope that they at least had meetings with Fields about what's going to happen. 
because right now this is obviously scary, and you have to include Fields on some input. If you're going to change the franchise quarterback and you want to build around him, you need to include him on some input here. Can't just be all you guys running the show behind the scenes and leaving him in the dark. It's a different game now. Quarterbacks are so important to a team's success. I've seen people comment saying, oh, John, what are you talking about? Justin Fields deserves no say. Well, not necessarily, and here's why. He's supposed to be the franchise quarterback. The Bears traded up to get him, and I'll tell you this much. If they strike out on Justin Fields, not that it's going to happen, but if it did, the Bears wouldn't be good again for at least another five years. So yeah, he should be at least somewhat included on the team's situation. (laughs) I wouldn't be able to fathom the Bears being bad for five years or not having another quarterback for five more years, six more years. That just wouldn't be right. So the point being, (laughs) I don't blame the writer of this article. I don't blame him for the speculation. And I wouldn't blame Justin Fields today if he said, you know what, I want out. Bears fans would be in a frenzy, but do you really blame him? Sit back and think to yourself. What have the Bears done for him? What have the Bears truly done to help out Justin Fields, his development, his career, his success in the NFL? So far, a whole lot of nothing. And I'm willing to give them a chance to do it in year two. But as we speak today, as we speak on April 18th, 2022, the fact is it's been a big bad zero. What have the Bears done for Justin Fields? They've surrounded him with little to no talent. Still not a good enough offensive line. You kept a coach that, frankly, sucked and sabotaged his own players at some point. Why would he want to stay? And if you were in that similar situation, would you want to stay? Doubt it. (laughs) I doubt it. And I wouldn't blame you. The great resignation, right, around the country. Why are people quitting so much? Well, they're not happy. Nobody goes into an uproar when, oh, somebody quits. Not really. Everybody kind of understands it. There's probably a reason behind it. Then they go find a different job with a different and better situation. Justin Fields would have his fair share of suitors right now if he was quote-unquote available. He would. A lot of teams, I'm sure, would show some sort of interest. Some that have better, ready-made situations for him and his benefit. So don't think of this as reckless speculation and stupidity. Think of this as, well, what have the Bears done for Justin Fields so far? It's been a train wreck. Justin Fields may have to prove himself next year, for sure, but the Bears have to prove themselves to him, too. It goes both ways. The Bears do have to prove themselves to him. Tell you this much, if Justin Fields shows some sort of improvement next year, then come next offseason, there's no spending, limited spending, they're going after the wrong guys. Yeah, if I were Justin Fields, I'd say goodbye. Quarterbacks are so rare in this league, and they have a lot of the power. Look at what happened with Deshaun Watson. Even with all those civil suits, he still had some power, which is shocking, but nevertheless, it happened. Quarterbacks have power right now. 
And if you're a team that will not develop a quarterback or not build around him or not cater to him, he has every right to leave. I would hope Justin Fields never leaves, but guess what? It's on the Bears to prove it. And so far, there's been nothing to show it. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Mark Janowski comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Here with John Zaglul, and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the Bulls Insider at Stadium Sports Reporter at ABC7 and the host of the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast with Stacey King. Please welcome Mark Janowski to the program. Mark, it's great to have you on. How are you? John, thanks for having me. Doing well. What do you make of last night's game for the Bulls, first off? Well, it's two ways of looking at it. The glass half full approach is that they played fantastic defense. They had a great chance to win in the second half. And they can build on this and maybe get a win in game two on Wednesday. The uh, negative aspect is they had a perfect chance to steal that game. Milwaukee did not shoot the ball from th- well from three-point range, and they let it slip away. So I'm sure that Billy Donovan and his coaches, when they go over the tape, they're going to emphasize all the things they did well defensively. You're not going to get that poor of a shooting night, I don't think, from DeMar DeRozan again in the series. So if DeMar just has a normal game, they win that opening game. And I think that they showed the Bucks that they're just not going to roll over in the series. And if Milwaukee wants to advance, they're going to have to earn it. What contributed to that poor shooting night for the Bulls all around? I think it was just a little bit of rust, a little bit of playoff jitters. And let's remember Milwaukee is playing defense too. So it wasn't like they were getting all uncontested shots. DeRozan was challenged on a lot of his mid-range attempts. He did get some clean looks throughout the game, but I think that their defense, the Bucks' defense, is predicated on let's not let DeRozan get off. I was thinking that Zach Levine would probably be as healthy as going to, as he's going to be in this series for game one. Everyone knows about the knee issue that's been troubling him over the last six weeks or so. And I figured with a week off and a chance to get some, th- some treatment during that practice week, he would come out strong. But unfortunately, Zach didn't shoot it well either. You know, when your two best guys aren't hitting their outside shots, it makes it tougher on everybody else to try to pick up the slack. It was one of those old-fashioned grind-em-out playoff games, and, and the Bulls had a really good chance to win. Unfortunately, they just couldn't buy a bucket in the final two minutes. Were you expecting that sort of shooting performance overall? I mean, they were horrible from three-point range, and even inside the three-point line, they weren't doing that well. Were you expecting that kind of performance? I thought that the Bulls w- would really come out shooting the ball well. I think with the week of practice and really having a good game plan going in, that they would get some good, clean looks for their players. You know, you look at, at some of the point-blank layups that Nikola Vucevic missed inside. It was just one of those days where they had an opportunity to, to steal that game and they just couldn't get anything to fall. There was that sequence late in the game where Vucevic missed two point-blank shots. And what are you going to do when your 6'11 center misses from that, that close in? It just uh, just wasn't meant to be. You know, I'm sure the Bucks are feeling really good that they were able to play far less than their optimal standard and still escape with a victory in game one. And now... They'll look at the tape and they'll come in, I think, much more motivated, much more focused in game two. So the Bulls will not only have to shoot better, I think they'll have to play better all around to have a chance to steal one on Wednesday night. Do you think they shifted momentum in any way, knowing that the Bucs also didn't shoot well? They ended up pulling this one out. I think they built some confidence within their own group. I think now they feel like this team is not clearly better than us. We can compete with them. Remember, during the regular season series, the Bulls had a really good chance to win the first two games they played against the Bucs and and lost those leads late. Uh, They kind of got blown out in the second two games in the regular season. But I think now 
They feel like they've got a game plan for how to defend this Bucks team. I thought Alex Caruso did a fantastic job on Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton shot poorly. That's because of the pressure that Caruso put on him. He, I think he was like four for 11. He had, he had 11 points in the game, and he was really a non-factor. I thought, you know, you take one of the Milwaukee stars out of the equation. And Drew Holiday didn't really shoot well until late in the game as well. So I, I feel like they, they did pretty much what they wanted to do defensively. They were able to get Giannis in some foul trouble. He had some pretty good numbers overall, but he didn't take over the game as he's done in a lot of the previous meetings between the Bulls and Bucks. So I think that defensively, they found some answers that they can use the rest of the series. The question is, can they knock down shots if, in close games in the fourth quarter? Mark Janowski here on Sports Talk Chicago. Mark, what's the game plan exactly defensively? How the Bulls do so well last night in guarding uh, Giannis and Chris Middleton? I think what they're trying to do is to make sure that uh, they get up on them physically. I thought Caruso did a good job of getting into Chris Middleton's body, really affecting his dribble. Middleton, as good of a shooter he is, sometimes can be a little bit careless with his handle. He tries to cross over in front of his body, and a lot of times that ball is right there for the picking. I believe Milwaukee had 19 turnovers in the game, and they, they were a little bit sloppy with their ball handling. And I think some of that was a lot of that was due to the Bulls' pressure. They also did a, did a pretty good job on Giannis after the first quarter. You know, the first quarter did not go well for the Bulls at all. Milwaukee was up 34-21, and, and they were really getting to the rim pretty easily with Giannis and Brooke Lopez. I think over the last three quarters, they did a better job of trying to put pressure on Giannis, force him to be a jump shooter. And when you can do that, he's not going to be quite as effective. So the defensive game plan was sound. I thought they got some good shots offensively. They just had a bad shooting night. The hope is that uh, that changes on Wednesday gives them a chance to get over the top in the series. How sustainable do you think this defensive effort will be? I think it is. You know, defense is always about effort and uh, getting a total team commitment. You know, having one guy make the correct rotation when there's a screen set or somebody loses their man, the next guy slides over. And I thought defensively, they were pretty sound. As I mentioned, early in the game, they lost Brook Lopez a couple of times. He got some layups where he was switched on to smaller players, but they, they kind of cleaned that up over the final three quarters. Lopez had the uh, the two and ones late in the game, which really hurt them. Both of them, he kind of got hit on the arms and just flung the ball up towards the basket. He was lucky that those went in. Of course, there's always an element of luck in any sport, and uh, the Bucks did get the luck down the stretch, and the Bulls, as I mentioned, couldn't buy a basket. What's the Bulls' biggest threat moving forward in this series? I think that uh, the thing that they can do against the Bucs is they have multiple ways that they can attack them offensively. You know, with Vucevic not shooting it well from three, he was two for 10 from three. Zach was two for 10 from three. They've got to knock down some of those three-point shots. I think that they do have the personnel to challenge this Milwaukee team. Milwaukee is the worst team in the league in defending the three-point line. And I think that was the strategy that they had going in is uh, – drive in, penetrate, kick it out to our three-point shooters, and we're going to get wide-open looks. I'm sure Billy Donovan and his staff, when they look at the tape, are going, man, we got so many clean looks from the three-point line. You know, Kobe White did a couple of shots when they had that third-quarter run that really helped them. But their mainstays, Booch and Zach Levine, in terms of three-point shooting, were four for 20. That's got to change on Wednesday night and throughout the series. What's your take on the rest of this series? Do the Bulls even have a chance to come back and win it, or how do you see the rest of it going? Well, it's going to be tough. You know, the Bucks are the defending world champions, and, and they got there for, for a reason. They have excellent personnel. They're really tough to stop, and I, and I thought the Bulls played as well as they could defensively in game one. I think they'll get a game in this series. I, I don't know which one it'll be, maybe game three when they go back to Chicago and they get the home crowd on their side for the game on Friday night. 
but they're they're up against a team that has a is playoff tested, has some of the best clutch performers in the league. Uh, winning the series, I, I don't think that that's a very likely outcome in in this series. But I think that they've shown Milwaukee that they're not going anywhere. They're going to battle. They're going to make the Bucks earn a victory in the first round. And I think that we're going to see a lot of close games uh, throughout the rest of the series. Do you think the Bulls, if they play them close like they did yesterday, you'd consider this series somewhat of a success knowing how close they played them? Well, then you have to go back over the way the season really developed. You know, back at the All-Star break, which wasn't all that long ago, they were tied with Miami for the best record in the league. And at that point, the hope was that they could finish strong, maintain a top four seed, get home court advantage in the first round, and maybe get a more favorable playoff matchup. Instead, as we know, they had some problems with injuries, guys out and not playing as well as they did the first half of the season. They sunk all the way to six, and they did not get a favorable matchup. The Bucks tanked their last game because they wanted the Bulls in the first round. They wanted that 3-6 matchup, and now you know they're trying to take full advantage of it. I think when uh, the script is written for this season, people will look back at the last 25 games and go, man, if they only could have played better over the final six weeks of the season, they maybe could have gotten a more favorable playoff matchup, maybe drew, uh, drew Toronto in the first round and had a chance to advance. What do you say about this season yourself? Is this a success, or how do you define it based on what happened later in the year? I think the season overall has been a tremendous success. When you look back at the fact they won 31 games last year, albeit in a shortened 72-game season, but you know they climbed all the way to 46 wins. They identified some things that they could do on both sides of the court. They added real impact players in DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. And I think those guys will really help them going forward. You know, we haven't even talked about Lonzo Ball yet, and his absence has been felt throughout these last couple of months. You know, the things that he can do on the defensive end in terms of on-ball pressure, his passing ability, and his three-point shooting. Remember, Lonzo shot 42%, averaging seven three-point attempts per game during the season. You put Lonzo Ball out on the court with those open three-point looks, maybe the Bulls win game one. And I think you get a healthy Lonzo Ball back for the start of training camp, you build off what you did this season, maybe tweak the roster a little bit to add one more athletic big to complement Nikola Vucevic and Patrick Williams. And then I think you have a chance to compete for a top four spot and home court advantage next season. What's their biggest need for next year? A big guy is what you just said. Is that what they should be looking for? Absolutely. You know, they have the 19th pick in the draft, and I, and I believe that they're going to go for either an athletic backup center or a power forward who can really stretch the floor, who can shoot the three-point ball, and also can protect the rim. Uh, they also are going to have a mid-level exception that they can use in free agency. And don't be surprised if uh, AK decides to make a trade or two to solidify that front line. When you look at the way they played throughout the season, they've because of injuries, COVID, personnel issues, they've been forced to go small for most of the season. You know, I know Billy Donovan did that a lot in Oklahoma City, and he's comfortable going with multiple guards on the court. But against some teams, when you're going with Nikola Vucevic surrounded by four guards, you're going to get hurt on the boards. You're going to get hurt defensively inside. And I think that when AK looks back on the season and ways he can solidify the roster, he's going to get uh, Billy a backup center that, that he can have confidence in, that can protect the rim, as I mentioned, can block some shots. And he's going to find another power forward who can shoot threes, space the floor, and allow Zach and uh, DeMar to have more operating room on their drives to the basket. Is there anybody specific you're thinking of? There's a kid from Duke I really like, Mark Williams. Their center really came out strong. The problem is he played so well late in the year and in the NCAA tournament, he's now projected as a late lottery pick. 
couldn't rule out the possibility you could trade up, but the Bulls have so little draft capital and trading up is not as common in the NBA as it is in the NFL. So I don't know if they can get up high enough to get Mark Williams. He's a 6'10 shot blocker. He can jump out of the gym. I think that he would be a perfect addition to this team. Um, you know, I think there's a, a number of power forwards out there that they can look at that maybe can be a compliment to Patrick Williams, kind of give him a one-two punch at that spot. But, you know, when you draft lower in the draft at 19, you're not going to get, most likely you're not going to get an impact player. But remember, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo and, and Kawhi Leonard were picked around 15, 16. So sometimes you do get lucky in the middle of the draft. What about Zach Levine's contract situation? Where do you see that ending up this offseason? I think they'll re-sign him to a max deal, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of haggling about it. I think last season during the summer when he was eligible for an extension, Arturis Karnischewicz told him, just be patient. We want to improve the roster around you, and in order to do that, we're going to have to delay giving you a big contract until next summer. I'm not saying that they made a firm verbal promise that we're going to max you, but you know Zach made the all-star team for the second straight year before he had the knee injury. He was playing some of the best basketball of his career with career highs and assists. Also, his shooting was good at all three levels, and I felt like he had taken another step in his career. He also had improved somewhat defensively. So I think Zach will get that max deal with the understanding that nothing is permanent. We've seen that around the NBA so often that, you know, Zach will be brought back in all likelihood. But if AK has presented a deal, whether it's a sign and trade this summer or somewhere down the road where he needs Zach's salary slot to make it happen, I don't think they're going to promise Zach that you're going to be a bull for life. I think they'll give him the money and they'll bring him back. But I, I think that this roster will continue to be fluid until they get to the point where they feel like that they can not only contend for home court advantage in the first round, but maybe make a run at getting to the finals and winning a championship. I think that's why our tourist was brought in. That's his mission statement. And we've seen that he's not afraid to make bold moves. And, and I think that I think anyone is, is possible to be included in a trade if that can make the Bulls a better team. How likely do you think that is right now? I don't think that they're, they would trade Zach this summer. You know, there's been some speculation that the Lakers might be looking to make major changes, possibly even including making Chicago native Anthony Davis available in trade. And, you know, there, there could be a scenario where there's a discussion. Would you sign, sign and trade Zach Levine for Anthony Davis? That's a tough one. You know, obviously, Zach is 27. He's younger than Anthony, but the Bulls need a big man. Uh, you know, the salaries would probably be close to matching. I don't know if the Lakers or the Bulls would be interested in doing a one-for-one -one deal, but those are the kind of things that may present themselves as we go down the line. Another situation to watch is what happens with Zion Williamson in New Orleans. You know, he's, he's close to being ready to get back to the court, according to the reports out of New Orleans. But at, at the weight he's been playing at, and the issues he's been having both with his knee and with his foot, the foot injury caused him to miss the entire season. He may, either the Pelicans management or Zion may try to force his way out of there. He may become available. You, you pursue something like that down the road. So guys do become available. It didn't used to be that way in the NBA, but now you see every summer, you know, two or three stars either want to change teams on their own or teams are looking to get off contracts. And I know that this front office uh, tandem will be very proactive in trying to find a possible trade that can get the Bulls over the top. What's the Bulls' championship window look like right now, and how could that improve based on potential trades coming up this offseason? Well, you have to look at the fact that DeMar DeRozan will be 33 next season. He's, he's coming off a career year. I mean, it's pretty unusual for a guy in his 13th NBA season to put up the kind of numbers DeMar has. 
you know, averaging a career high in points, shooting it at a high percentage from the field and also a career high from the three point line and putting up, you know, over five assists and five rebounds a game. He has been a godsend for the Bulls. His performance in the fourth quarter has been as good as anyone in the league. And if you're AK and Mark Eversley and you're looking realistically at, at trying to project the next season, I don't think you can automatically project those same numbers for DeMar next season. I think you have to look at the fact that, you know, he may not be quite as uh, prolific as he was this year, and you have to improve the pieces around him. I think that they'll be looking to add one more guy who can create the, his shot, as well as, as I mentioned, strengthening their, their inside presence. I know that they don't feel like this is a finished product, and they'll, they'll look for improvement internally from guys like Patrick Williams and Kobe White, but they'll also be looking to strengthen the team from the outside. Are you at all concerned about the fact that Levine maybe gets a new contract, but DeRozan has two more years left and Bucevic has one more. Could that be a problem for the Bulls when it comes to winning something significant in the future? Well, you were talking about a championship window, and with this group, that is your championship window. It's the next couple of years with DeMar under contract. What they'll do with uh, Nikola Vucevic is going to be fascinating because, as you mentioned, one more year on that contract and his salary number actually goes down for next season. So he could be an attractive piece for a contender that's maybe looking for a big man who could shoot from the outside that they feel like it could possibly put them over the top. The name Rudy Gobert has come up because of the fact that uh, the Jazz kind of underachieved this year. I think they're going to win that first round series with Dallas because Luka Doncic is hurt right now. But if they don't advance beyond the second round in the Western Conference playoffs, you know, they have Danny Ainge came in as a consultant and Dwayne Wade is part of ownership now. They may look to blow up that team around Donovan Mitchell. The problem with Rudy Gobert, yeah, he'd be nice for the Bulls in terms of his defensive presence and the fact that he's a multiple-time All-Star. But his salary, he, he was signed to a max deal recently. His salary numbers are crazy, and I don't think I would pay that much for a guy that doesn't give you that much on the offensive end. More to come with Mark Janowski. In just a moment, stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Mark Janowski still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Mark, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, give me the hot sauce. How's it been going? It's been going great. We we have a lot of fun. You know, Stacy uh, is a bundle of energy, and he brings great <laughs> stories every week. You know, he's been busy traveling. The Bulls had a ton of road games over the final month of the season, but but Stacy always wants to do the show. You know, I always tell him, Stacy, we can take a week off if you want. He goes, No, I want to make sure we get a new show out every week. And he really he really cares a lot about the project. You know, he wants to make sure. We're getting good guests for our listeners. You know, we had two guests last week. We had Devon Dotson on, you know, the former Bull, the Kansas All-American. Remember that scene at the national championship where Bill Self uh, walked by and gave him his national championship hat? Uh, Dotson tells that story about, uh, you know, the fact that he was overwhelmed with emotion because his 2020 team was considered the favorite going in the NCAA tournament. And that's when COVID wiped out the entire NCAA dance. And uh, he was there with some of his teammates in that squad and, and Bill Self, right after winning the national title, made sure to honor that group because he felt they could have won it. And we also had Allie Quigley on the show, you know, one of the best shooters in the WNBA. They just started training camp to defend their championship. And she talked about some of the challenges and growing up in Joliet and playing at Joliet Catholic in DePaul. So if people get a chance, uh, go back and check out episode 74. Give me the hot sauce. A couple of great interviews. And uh, I know Stacy's trying to get Jay Billis on this week. So uh, we'll see if uh, we can deliver on that as well. Mark, before we finish up today, last question. What's your favorite Bulls playoff memory? Uh, for me, it, it has to be the Phoenix series, 1993. 
that was an all-out war. That was Charles Barkley at the height of his powers when he won the NBA title. And I had the good fortune of uh, being in Phoenix to uh, work as a reporter for Channel 7 uh, during that series. And, you know, it was a weird series because, remember, the Bulls won the first two games. Well, you don't remember. You weren't even born yet. Um, but but you, know, you know the history. Yes. Um, you know the history that the Bulls went into Phoenix and won the first two games. And they had a stranglehold on the series. And with the 2-3-2 two, two format at that point, everyone thought it was going to be a cakewalk. They'd win two of the next three in Chicago, and they'd be celebrating a championship. Well, Phoenix won a triple overtime game in game three with uh, Barkley scoring close to 50. I think Jordan had like 56. And that kind of made it a competitive series again. The Bulls won game four. And then I remember the, uh, the mayor putting out public service uh, announcements to say, protect our town, celebrate safely. And Charles Barkley and his group saw that, and they made a big deal of saying, there ain't going to be no celebration in Chicago after game five. And when they, when they won game five at the uh, United Center, they made a big deal. Excuse me, that was the old, uh, the old stadium. They made a big deal of um, you know, saying that, I guess that Chicago's going to be safe tonight. You got nothing to celebrate. <laughs> so they, go back, they go back to Phoenix, and you know, the, the Bulls, there was legitimate concern that, that Phoenix, of course, had the best record that year. They had Charles Barkley. They had Kevin Johnson, who was a fantastic point guard at the time. They had Dan Marley. They had some other uh, good scorers on the team. There was some real concern that you know it'd be tough to get a couple of win or get that one one win they needed in Phoenix. Well, you know how the history went. Phoenix had the lead, but the Bulls uh, were able to get the ball to John Paxson. John Paxson making that huge shot to put them ahead, and then Horace Grant blocked Kevin Johnson's shot on the other end, and the Bulls were walking off with their third championship. So. You know, being in the building and seeing how that game unfolded, uh, that, that was probably my favorite in-person memory. And then, of course, Jordan's last shot in Utah is right there as well. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to have you on to Talk Bulls. Best wishes with Give Me the Hot Sauce and covering the rest of this series. Hopefully things work out for the Bulls. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. Enjoyed it as always. Great talk there with Mark Janowski, and that'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Mark Janowski himself, Matt Tubiel, WCKG, Jim DeTobin, to Marvel Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook, John Zagluel. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show. Come to it tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?